0: Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics.
1: All right, uh, we are back. And we have a special episode for you today. Thanks, everybody, for uh, downloading once again and taking a listen to us. Jason Wheeler here with Jason Whiteley. And, uh, Jason, I have uh, cracked open a, uh, a new one today. And uh, you've probably had this uh, from the Bishop Cider Company. Uh, mm. That's in Dallas, right?
0: It is. That's off of uh, what, industrial or what? I don't know what the new name of the place is. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: And I'm having a design the... Design district. And I'm having the Texas Tea. Have you had this? Man.
0: Dang, man. You, you always show me up. I'm having... Uh, I have not had it. Is it good? Is it tea? Or it is. It, it
1: tastes... No, no there, there There is a caveat here. Uh, it, this is the black tea and lemon flavor, uh, and, and I will give the caveat in that you really have to govern yourself with this, and, and you know, we like to promote uh, responsible things here on this uh, uh, podcast, and this one, you can, especially if it's warm outside... You can put away quite a few of these and not realize it because it tastes mm. like tea. Pro tip, huh? A little Texas tea. What do you have? Yeah. It's, it's it's eight
0: a.m., so it's okay. Man. <laughs> you can have what you want at eight a.m. No problem at all. Breakfast. Um, I, I'm have yeah. <laughs> I'm I, I don't I need to go back and, and get some more Texas beers. I, I have a, a Japanese beer. I had sushi the other night, so I bought some of these Sapporo.
1: Well. You know, I, first of all, that's a good one, and secondly, <laughs> uh, you, you know, you're a,
0: you're couching it for me, man. It,
1: no, it's it's you're you're this you know you're a high paid globetrotting guy. I mean, you've been to Japan many times, and and no, that's in my mind, no. It, you, how many times have you been to Japan now? A couple times. Okay, that's couple a, times a couple so times far. more than most people. So, you know, we'll let you have the Sapporo there. That's uh, wow. I, one of these days, I aspire. Yeah, that. i'm just having a little lowly texas tea from little lowly <laughs> dallas um well l- let's talk about something that
0: i guarantee you all of our listeners have probably seen scrolling through their facebook page yes or twitter or on tv or even on instagram or on tv or tiktok wh- wherever you are i guarantee you you have seen an ad most likely from the lincoln project
1: Have you seen these? Yes. And and if you have seen one of these and you're not sure if it was from the Lincoln Project, these are unmistakable. They are, you know, punch the other candidate in the face, tough ads uh, that don't they don't pull any punches and they turn them around fast. And they have one target and one target only. And that is President Trump.
0: Yeah, these are the morning in America things we saw with sunrises over dairy farms and stuff like that with Ronald Reagan. This this is cutthroat. Why is it cutthroat? Well, the Lincoln Project, if you don't already know, and I'm going to be surprised if you don't already know this, but the Lincoln Project is a group of Republicans who are campaigning against President Trump. You might call them a rhino. They'll take whatever name you want to give them. But they say, hey, listen, we, we are conservative to the core but this is who we are and they are campaigning against Donald Trump they think he's an existential threat not only to their party but also to the uh, to the country as you know at, at large mm-hmm. nevertheless they are pulling no punches in in ads in campaigning in investing money in all kinds of things as we really wind in on this election not just nationwide jason mm-hmm here in Texas.
1: Yeah. And, you know, Texas has for so long been known as this conservative bastion, this uh, ruby red state uh, that was reliably Republican. Democrats have said for years that they want to flip it. They still haven't been able to do that. They think that this year could be their year. uh, But as uh, one of our recent guests says, uh, it's uh, it's not a flip until it's a flip. Uh, So they haven't done it yet. Uh, The uh, Lincoln Project wants to help them get there, though, and they are putting their money where they their mouth is. And here in our humble podcast, uh, they are making some news today about what they're willing to put down as far as money goes to get this message out for those uh, voters who haven't headed to the polls yet, uh, including you, Jason. You haven't uh, cast your vote yet. You're the, well, I guess you're not actually the one that they're looking for. They're being very uh, clear about who they're targeting here, and they're micro-targeting here in Texas with a lot yeah, you're of money. About to
0: hear- Indeed, so. You're about to hear exactly who they're targeting here in Texas, but we got on the phone here Mike Madrid. He is one of the co founders of the Lincoln Project. He's kind of the data guy um, at the Lincoln Project, and he's worked since, what, for 40 years for Republicans, for, for presidential campaigns, congressional campaigns, all across the country. And here he is, 40 years into his career as a political operative, never expecting in a million years he'd be working. Against Republicans on the same side as Democrats and, and Mike uh, you know he's here to explain why he's doing it We are about uh, what two and a half three weeks away from the election um, and, and you have a smile on your face tell me why
2: Well I just like hearing the name Texas now there's so much going on there's an energy down there there's a focus and look I'm sure we'll get into the the, the nuts and bolts of this but the more the more we focus and talk about it the more I think it's a recognition of just how 2020's election cycle is turning out
1: well some of that energy down here has been from from your group uh, the lincoln project tell us a little bit about what you all have been doing uh, here in texas and what made you decide to dive in and start spending some real money here this is a republican stronghold for years
2: Yeah, so look, I'm a a California Republican operative. And so for the past 20 years, a lot of my work and data work has been comparing Texas to California, right? These are two very similar states on paper. They both have, you know, a plurality of white voters, Latino votes increasing significantly. Their economies aren't terribly dissimilar. Um, So my analysis over the past really two decades has been looking at why one is red, 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 why one is blue, blue, blue. And a lot of my work is kind of clashing here at this moment in time with 2020. And the data has been telling us since about March timeframe that Texas is going to move into play. It's going to move into contention. And so as the data guy with the Lincoln Project, you know, I've kind of brought this up with the other founders as we've been making our strategic decisions. The truth of the matter is every one of us, myself included, is going, yeah, but it's Texas, right? All of our experience says it's Texas. It's going to move back. It's going to move back it hasn't moved back for six, seven, eight months, it's been a dead heat. And so the answer then becomes why, and as I've been looking closer and closer at this, it's been more and more difficult to just ignore it and write it off and say, this is Texas. I mean, it's in play, it just is. It doesn't necessarily mean Biden will win, but the fact that we're here two weeks out of an election and the president's spending money in Texas and he's got surrogates in Texas and the Lincoln Project is in Texas, Bethel O'Rourke and the Democrats are doing what they're doing in Texas means that there's something very, very real happening uh, down in Texas.
0: Mike, last week or so, you guys spent, I think, a million dollars on an ad buy. Uh, Quite a few people are spending money here. Does the Lincoln Project have any more uh, ad investments planned for this state in the remaining uh, days and weeks?
2: Yeah, that one million wasn't for the entire uh, spend. That one million was just for one week because we were gonna go in at that level probably higher um so yes well we look we've been spent by the way that million was we would spent a million before that we have been in texas we've been very quiet about it because we've been looking at it and doing our analytic work and seeing if it's worth making the investment and like i said sometimes in a campaign you, you almost kind of prefer that if the numbers would come bad it will give you an excuse to say ah let's take this money to go back into wisconsin let's go let's go work in the tea in pennsylvania let's go into florida but, but Texas won't turn away, right? It's like you kind of want it to give you bad data so it'll help us focus our resources. No, if Texas is saying, come on down. I mean, the Republicans here are moving. We've got 9 to 10% of Republicans that are saying we're voting for Biden. That's the only way you get to the polling numbers that you get as consistently as you get is there's a lot of white-collar, high educated tech workers and Republicans in the suburbs
0: these are Republicans
2: not Mike
0: you said nine or ten percent of Republicans in, in Texas are voting for Biden I haven't seen those yeah. numbers before
2: yeah we're not only seeing those internally but every public opinion poll is showing those numbers those cross tabulations if you look at the cross tabs look it's kind of con- it is shocking at first but think about think about this you can't get to you can't get to dead heats in Texas unless you're losing deteriorating with Republicans you just can't and so to the but, but here here's the deal the texas republicans are losing suburban republicans specifically women okay these are college educated women a lot of them are working in the high-tech workforce culturally they've had it with the party they're like i'm done i can't do this trump thing anymore i'm checking out that's about that's the 10 percent that we're getting to where the lincoln project is going to be focusing on is what we call deep maga country we're going hardcore into rural texas to peel off just one out of 25, one in 30 of these Republican voters to say, let's let's make a vote for your country over your party at this moment in time. And if we're successful with that piece, we think that we can uh, move Texas, at least for this election cycle, out of the Republican column and towards a better, more healthy way to kind of govern the country.
1: All right. So how do you grab uh, Republican voters in that sea of red that if we you know, break up the counties in Texas, you look out there and you just see the sea of red counties uh, election after election. How do you reach those voters? How do you get that one out of 25 Republicans to to turn uh, and, and decide to vote Democrat or decide to just not vote not at all? all? That's a great question. So let me talk about the message. There's really two message
2: points that we know quantifiably have worked. First of all, the covid message. Uh, it's not working with all Republicans, but there are enough Republicans that believe in science uh, that we can peel these numbers off just on that data point alone. you yeah. got to remember in the summer when the numbers started going south and Abbott was kind of turning his back on science and Trump was pushing him to do the same. You saw Trump's numbers really fall to uh, the lowest levels of his presidency. You also saw Abbott's numbers drop. You saw Cornyn's numbers drop. There was an overall souring on the Republican brand. So we're gonna keep reinforcing that message that it's not just uh, this guy's got bad character and he puts out vulgar tweets, it's that his mismanagement and incompetence is killing people and people recognize that, especially with this older demographic of which Texas, like most Sunbelt states, has a significant overrepresentation of seniors 65 plus. That older vote is hardcore Republican base, okay? No Republican has ever won the White House without winning the senior vote, 65 years and older. Uh, Right now, Biden is winning that by about 12 points. So we're gonna keep doubling down on that message because Texans know what a COVID pandemic looks like. It's not like some of those areas of the country that haven't been hit. So COVID's the main message, but the other is we found tremendous traction with the derogatory statements that the president made about our military members, Hmm. military service. And so we're gonna be hitting very, very hard on that Atlantic story. and Some of those comments he made about our fallen soldiers being suckers and losers. Uh, and you saw John Kelly come out, Mattis is opposed. Some of the most respected names in the military have come out against this presidency, not only because it's a threat to our republic, but because he's disrespectful to our service members and especially those that have fallen on foreign soil. So that, that look, the, the veterans message, our troops, that speaks to every coalition, every every component of the Republican side of the aisle. There's not one segment that isn't very strong pro-troop. And so we're going to be driving that message home very, very strongly. And we think we get to the numbers that we need to.
0: Yeah, of course, uh, Fort Hood in central Texas, Fort Bliss out in El Paso, the the, the large contingent in San Antonio as well. Then Wichita Falls has uh, a group up there. So a lot of veterans here. But Mike, uh, you know the numbers well. You're the data guy for the Lincoln Project. But in, in 2016, Donald Trump won Texas by nine points. That's the slimmest margin in the last 20 so uh, years. We've heard about demographics and, you know, 20 years I've heard about demographics changing in this state. But every Republican insider I've talked to, everyone, everyone that, that I really respect and, and, and look at for data says he's still going to win probably, probably by about five points or so. It'll be, you know, half of what it was last time. What do you say to those folks? Do you think that's that's the case or do you think it's going to be slimmer than that? I think
2: that he might win as wide as five, but the bigger point is this, tactically the president, the Republican president of the United States has to defend Texas two weeks out of the election. So tactically, why would we not be pressing the case and forcing him to fight on his strongest base of support? That tells you everything you need to know about how he's doing in Iowa and Wisconsin and Georgia and Ohio and Pennsylvania and Florida and North Carolina. This president's in trouble. I mean, let's be honest about it. This guy's in deep, deep trouble when you're a Republican defending Texas. Now, having said that, we're not into moral victories at the Lincoln Project. We're into victories. So there is ample evidence to suggest that Texas is absolutely in play. Yeah, it's true. Trump won by nine. But, you know, uh, uh, McCain won by 16, okay? And, and Romney won by 11. Uh, Beto O'Rourke loses by two and a half to Ted Cruz. That's called a trend line. Okay. The numbers are moving and it predates Trump. He just, he just put his foot on the accelerator and is moving these demographics. Incidentally, the, and, and as a Republican, when I've looked at Texas, I've said the same thing because there's no way the Democrats don't understand Texas. They've always counted on the Latino vote, on the Hispanic vote as the demographic change that they're talking about. That's not what's turning Texas bluer. What's turning Texas bluer is they're attracting, Texans are attracting a more college-educated, sophisticated, high-tech worker to the economies in Austin and Houston and Dallas and its suburban periphery. It's white voters that are changing. Ten years ago, the difference between California and and Texas, as I mentioned, I've done a lot of work on this, has been white voters. In, In California, half of white voters are very conservative. The other half are very progressive. It's directly correlate to how educated you are. In Texas, as they're growing this new Silicon Valley type economy, you're seeing more educated workers move into Texas and they're bringing their politics with them. So 10, 15 years ago, if you said white voters in Texas, overwhelmingly conservative Republicans, not just Republicans, conservative. It's now getting to 50-50, just like California. That may scare some people, but that's, that's the real demographic reality is it's not Latino voters that are changing Texas. It's white college educated voters that are changing
1: Texas. Okay, so now that we're up to speed on the demographics here, we know what the issues are in this election. Uh, what is it that you think Joe Biden, I mean, the Biden campaign just dropped $6.2 million in this yeah. state, which is a yeah. huge spend by a Democratic candidate yeah. coming down the wire like this uh, toward Election Day? What is it that Joe Biden hasn't done or needs to do or should do in Texas? If he were to actually try to flip this state, is there, is there a weak spot? Is there something he hasn't gotten to?
2: The biggest weak spot uh, is whether or not you're going to, there's two, there's two things with the same demographic we haven't really talked about right now, and that is the Hispanic vote. Okay. Now, I, I did, I worked on George W.'s campaign back in 2000 for president, did independent work on the 2004 race. We concentrated very heavily on Hispanic voters. Uh, Texans, Texan Hispanics, of course, are a little bit different. You make them a little different down in Texas, the way you make everything a little different down in Texas, right? All good stuff. But here's the thing. There's going to be a record turnout of Hispanic voters nationwide. It will be the first time in history that Hispanics surpass black voters as the second largest ethnic voting group in America, right behind whites. Texas is going to be a central piece of that. You're already seeing this overwhelming uh, turnout numbers in your, in your state, a million on the first day of early voting. I mean, those numbers are astronomical. The question is, can Biden get that vote, the Hispanic vote by more than 33%? If more than 33, I'm sorry. Yeah, if, if 33% or less stay for Trump, Biden can win Texas, okay? Mm-hmm. If those numbers, if Trump gets up to 35, 37%, it's gonna be very, very difficult. So the key for Biden to win Texas is he's gonna have to make a strong, concerted persuasion push to Hispanic voters. They're already gonna turn out, they already are. The question is what we call, how much of a break is he gonna get? Is it gonna break Biden's way to the tune of 67%? Is he gonna hit 70%? If he drops below 67, hit 65, probably not enough to get there. That's gonna be the determining factor.
0: Mike, um, I get emails from both campaigns every day inundated with them and and i always look at the trump campaign because i'm always curious if if they are planning any visits here with eric trump donald trump jr ivanka anybody and they haven't planned a single visit here so i'm just i'm just curious you know why you think they need to defend this if if they're not actually planning a a single rally or a conversation or fireside chat or anything they don't seem like they're actually you know worried about losing texas Well,
2: look, I hope that they're not. But the truth of the matter is the president was scheduled to be in Texas the Monday after he was came down with a positive COVID infection uh, when he contracted COVID. Uh, They also had Parscale and your lieutenant governor doing a bus tour uh, uh, in the past three, four weeks. So look, they they are worried about Texas. If they weren't, they wouldn't be doing these activities alone. The truth of the matter is, if you were to show up in Texas right now, that's basically raising the white flag. But he is in Georgia, he is in Iowa. These are states he won by nine, okay? So there's no doubt that the president's in trouble. Uh, Look, I'm not gonna say it's an odds on bet for Biden in Texas, but I am going to say it's worth the Lincoln Project's investing in it and having Republican groups going in there, we're not the only ones. You got 43 for Biden. There's a lot of Bushies that are involved with this effort too. Again, we're not into moral victories. We're here to win. Okay? We don't. We don't. I don't. I don't need a new narrative. I'm here to win races. So um, I think they are. I think when Ted Cruz starts saying this is going to be a bloodbath, when John Cornyn is raising a five-alarm fire, they're not kidding. Uh, they're seeing the same data that we're seeing, and there's a reason why they're worried, and that's because they should be.
1: I want to ask you about that term bloodbath there, Mike, because we heard that from uh, the Republican senator uh, from Nebraska, Ben Sasse, uh, here recently in some uh, leaked audio. Uh, A lot of people in your organization, a lot of people who are Republicans who are opposing uh, uh, President Trump this time around still hold a lot of conservative values, may still have have a lot of values in common with the Republican platform or the former Republican platform. Are you worried that your organization and others could destroy this party uh, and, and, and cause it to have uh, generations or, or a generation, let's say, to have to rebuild? Uh, are you worried about decimating it to that point to where, uh, you know, for the next several elections, if indeed this one turns out to be a bloodbath, uh, that Republicans struggle? Or do you think that that's necessary? That's
2: a, that's a fantastic question. And it's one that, honestly, I have personally struggled with for some time, but the answer to me is also very clear. So let me say a couple of things. The first is I am a classical conservative, okay? I have not changed any one of my belief propositions or my values as we began the Lincoln Project. I'm fighting Donald Trump because I'm a conservative, not despite the fact that I'm a conservative. Donald Trump has changed the Republican Party to a populist nationalist party away from the conservative party that I joined during the Ronald Reagan era and have spent my entire life and career building. Okay, I am a true warrior for the conservative movement, and I will remain so because that's what I believe in. That means Donald Trump is the greatest existential threat to conservatism that exists, and it is why I am fighting him. The question you ask is the right one. It's a practical one. And that is, does, does what the Lincoln Project is doing so, so damage and splinter the conservative movement that those values that I believe and hold dearly can't manifest themselves in our government, our system of government? That may be, but let me say, let me rephrase the way I view this. this is, Donald Trump presents an existential threat to our country. He, he is a threat to the American experiment and to democracy itself. It doesn't matter what my policy positions are if we don't have a functioning, healthy democracy to implement that. This man has trampled the constitution that I hold dear, the values that I believe in, and everything that I have worked for and adamantly fought for for my entire adult life. So I am first and foremost an American. Then I am a conservative, and I will work in that order with that priority for those causes. I don't agree with Joe Biden on much. I don't agree with the Democrats on much. But the one thing I do agree on is America is worth saving, our Constitution is worth fighting for, and our institutions should be respected and not desecrated the way this president has done.
1: But a lot of his steadfast supporters would call someone like you a rhino, Republican in name only. Those steadfast reporters, even if he loses this election, probably aren't going to go away. Do you see coming out of this two Republican parties? Uh, you know, Obviously, you know, maybe one would call itself something different, but do you see that happening? I don't know.
2: We're not in the business of starting a new party. I am in the business of fighting for my conservative principles. They can call me a Republican in name only. I call them a conservative in name only. These people are not fighting for conservatism. They're fighting for Republicanism and Republicanism is now the party of Donald Trump. It's about populism. It's about nationalism. It's not about conservatism. That is a fight I relish. I will fight it every day. If that requires another party, so be it. But what I will say is this, when we win in november and i'm pretty confident we will we are not done driving the populist nationalist elements out of my party and out of this country okay this is just the beginning this is a threat not only to republicanism and conservatism it is a threat to the american republic and it's a fight that we are just beginning to fight
0: mike where are they going to go though You, you have this whole other you know facet of millions of people who support president trump driving them out of the party is one thing driving them out of the country i mean that's that's strong language there where do they go i don't care i mean i don't have to mean they have to physically leave the country everybody has a rights to be here but what i will do is
2: work to so marginalize them that their voices are irrelevant in the political process the same way that i have done in california okay california republicanism used to be the standard bearer of what it meant to be republican this is the home of ronald reagan and a home of richard nixon and we were the, the landing place the catalyst for the conservative movement Today, the Republican Party is a weak, feckless, irrelevant, marginalized regional party. That is what is happening to the Republican Party nationally, and it is directly a result of its choosing that path. There is a very different way that we could be heading, and we had a million different off ramps. This party has chosen to go down a road of white identity politics, of populism, of nationalism, and it is now reaping the unfortunate rewards of that very poor decision. It can still change its ways, but I'm not optimistic about it. I've seen this story play out before. I'm from California. I know how this story ends, and it's not going to end well for Republicans because they don't want to evolve. They don't want to change. They don't want to be welcoming of a new America and talk about conservatism. They're retrenching into this really ugly, metastasized form of white identity politics and nationalism, and I'll have none of that.
1: So uh, bringing it back here to Texas now, Mike, uh, we've got two weeks left before uh, we get to election day here. Uh, What do you think the Lincoln project will spend between now and the end of election day in Texas? Uh, You've indicated that you think that it is worth the investment.
2: We're looking at a budget right now, again, break a little bit of news. We're looking at a budget of 4 million right now. I don't know that that's where we will or won't be. In the next two weeks? Well, Texas is a big state. You got a lot going on there. I mean, one of the real big opportunities that we are looking at is, again, these deep MAGA countries, okay? We've already moved the needle in suburban, you know, peripheries around Austin, Houston, Dallas, you know, all of those areas. Like I said, we're already getting 9%, 10% of Republicans in those areas statewide, frankly, but those are largely concentrated in those suburban communities, where we're looking at now is a far more aggressive posture. We want to go into deep, rural, hardcore MAGA country in Texas and start making a difference. If we move just another 1% or 2%, it's probably game over if Hispanics turn out at the numbers that we think they're going to.
1: And is this TV ads, radio ads, hitting them on Facebook, texting them? How are you getting them? Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> Mike, yeah. Everywhere.
0: Mike, you, you sound pretty confident that you think Joe Biden is going to win in November. But I, I remember four years ago, the momentum was with Hillary Clinton. The polls showed Hillary Clinton was ahead. And here we are four years later and the momentum's with Biden and polls show Biden is ahead. Uh, sh- should Biden supporters be really, uh, you know, really be getting their uh, their hopes up this far out? Well, look, I think campaigns matter. And I don't think
2: anybody should be getting their hopes up. I mean, I approach every race confidently because you have to. And if your guy, your data strategist isn't confident, then you ought to probably hire a different strategist. But Mm -hmm. what I will say is this, the fundamentals in 2020 are just profoundly different than 2016. You have a very, very small sliver of undecided voters, not just nationally, but in all the battleground states. So Biden is winning, I think, every battleground state at this point, with the possible exception of North Carolina, but even where he is winning by a plus two or plus five margin, most of these are outside not only the margin of error, but they're also outside of the area of undecided voters. And it's not just one data point that we're looking at, it's numerous data points. You have to remember Hillary Clinton was ahead by six, seven, eight points at this point in the election cycle, but you had 12, 13% undecided. We haven't had 12, 13% undecided in this entire campaign. It has been at four, shrinking down to three and two, And again, 30 million people have already voted. That's 20% of the voters have already voted at the lowest point of Trump's election cycle. So those numbers we know mathematically are gonna break decidedly Trump. The question is, can Donald Trump throw a Hail Mary pass and connect and change the voter model by 10 or 12 points? That's never been done before in American history. I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just saying it's never been done. So we'll wait and we'll see and we'll run as hard as we can all the way to the end But I feel good about the fundamentals, not making any predictions, but I'd rather be Joe Biden than Donald Trump at this point in the race.
1: Mike, uh, you know, for many years you worked for Republicans to help Republicans. And and I'm just curious, do you ever just, you know, kind of shake your head and think, wow, here I am, Uh, I'm I'm opposing the Republican president for reelection. I'm doing everything I can to help the Democrat win here. If somebody had told you 15 years ago you'd be doing this, you probably would have uh, laughed in their face.
2: If somebody told me, yeah, just three years ago, I'd be doing this, I would have laughed in their face. Listen, I wake up and I experience heartbreak every day. There's something very tragic about working for 30 years of your adult life all over the country in congressional races, Senate races, and presidential campaigns for a party and a cause that you believe in with your entire being. But again, I'm an American first and the threat is very, very clear. So as, as difficult as it is and, and the many, many, many friends and personal colleagues uh, that I have lost, do I lament that? It hurts, it hurts deeply, but I have not for one second hesitated to do what's right for my country and I would do it again in a heartbeat.
0: Mike, you talked about moral victories, you're not into those and you talked about potentially spending $4 million in Texas. I wanna ask you about the the Lincoln Project's ads because these are particularly brutal ads and, and they, they go after uh, Trump in a way that Democrats haven't gone after a Republican in my lifetime. Can you talk about about that? I mean, you know, I think Michelle Obama, when they go low, we go high. When they go low, you guys go lower, it seems like. <laughs> I mean, am I wrong or what? No, look, you're right. I'm going to look, I, I've learned a lot
2: in this process. And the one thing I have learned is Democrats and Republicans fight differently. And the way I explain it is this is Democrats try to win policy debates in order to bring people over. <laughs> uh, they they want to be right. Republicans just want to win the race. And we approach things very differently. And neither is right, neither is wrong, but it does explain the difference between the way strategists work and operate. So that's a big part of it. Look, none of us relishes the, the, what, we're, what we're doing here as a, a way for democracy to get healthier and better. But you also have to fight the enemy where he's at. Hmm. If he's going to go low, we're going to go low and meet him down there. He's going to go to the gutter. We'll put it on the hip waiters and let's just have a battle down in the gutter. Let's do it. Let's dance. You know the Democrats don't seem to be able or willing to do that, and for the moment that's fine. Like I said, we are we are fighting this fight the best way that we know how at the at the place where he has brought uh, the debates to. You can't be aspirational when the person you're trying to defeat is is cynical. So we're going to meet him where he's at. We're going to fight him on the ground that he's chosen, and we're going to fight him the way that we know best. So, um, like I said, do I think that what we're doing is a healthy? way for us to practice politics? No, but let's be honest. We, our democracy is not in a healthy place. We are not in a good place. Is it because of Donald Trump? No, not exclusively, but he's absolutely exacerbated the situation. And we think you got to fight the enemy on the ground that he's chosen. We're more than happy to do that. I think we've been very successful to this point doing that.
1: But Mike, do you guys have like producers and editors working shift work, just sitting there waiting to cut these ads? Because it's amazing. The president will say something controversial and like an hour later, there's an ad.
2: Well, there ain't nobody waiting. I'll tell you that right now. They're working constantly. We have seven Mm. crews working on editing. Mm. So some of them are taking stuff immediately. Others are working on ads that are coming out in 48 hours. Others are working on ads that will come out next week. So we're constantly working in rotation to make sure that we're responding immediately to the president, driving the narrative in two days, and then also setting up for a longer narrative uh, within a week's time frame. So, yeah, this is not just two or three people you know, that we're overworking and not allowing to sleep for months at a time. It's a very sophisticated operation that we recognize would have to be done differently. Look, love us or hate us, the, the Lincoln Project has redefined the modern campaign. We're driving the narrative at the 30,000 foot level, but we're also responding immediately to what is happening with the president of the United States. And in many ways, we've just kind of outdone Trump's techniques with what he was able to do in 2016. We've done it by a factor of 10. And what it's allowed us to do is concentrate and, and limit in what we call bracket in the business, his communication strategy. So what he's saying is extremely limited because of our response and because of the attention that we get with our content. And it's limited, this unlimited megaphone that he's had and enjoyed for the better part of three and a half years.
0: Mike, we'll look for some of those ads, man. Good to talk to you again and uh, appreciate the insight on what you guys are doing.
2: I love visiting with you guys. Love to be back if you'll ever have me again and uh, keep in touch. Be safe next couple of weeks. A lot of activity down in Texas. So let me know what you're hearing too. I'd love to, love to hear what you guys are hearing.
1: All right, uh, so Jason, I, I, I don't know, did you play uh, sports uh, at all, coming through school? I, I, ran,
0: I, I ran track and cross country because there was a, uh, a girl on there that I really liked and wanted to get to know. So she ran track, so I joined the track team.
1: But she turned out to be a faster runner?
0: But much faster because yeah <laughs> she ran away I, I from me. i never went out with her yeah
1: <laughs> she got the hell away from me man way away that was not a setup question by the way there you know for, for as much time why were you asking me that no yeah, a, why were you asking me for that? for as much time me. as we spend together there are many things that i still do not know about you and and yet i am astounded over and over again at how much we have in common because i ran track two Really. Yeah, and in fact, you know, among other things, I ran track and that was the exact thing I was about to talk about. This is bizarre. Uh, we really don't we really do not plan anything in this podcast, believe me, it's very loose. Um, so you know here in you know in track terms, we are in that home stretch, that that horrible uh, dreadful uh, point of the race where you are running along. I don't know if you hated this as much as I did, Jason. I hated when I could hear the crowd. I hate it when I rounded right. that last corner, and I could hear people cheering because then you're they're getting into your head, and you're running, and you're just trying to get to the finish line, and you already feel dead. Uh, but here we are, we are in that home stretch, we are headed to the finish line. It's getting here fast. And boy, a lot of money is going to get thrown down in these last couple of weeks, not only from the candidates, not only from the campaigns themselves, but from places like the Lincoln Project. That is a, you know, we we hear these big dollar figures that are thrown out. We tend to take them for granted. That is a ton of money, $4 million that they're planning to spend in two weeks in a place like Texas, where in years past, uh, a Republican pack saw no need to stop by Texas because it was just going to be reliably Republican. Yeah, think about
0: who they're targeting also. Latinos in the Valley, West Texas and all over the state. Mm-hmm. Veterans. Mm-hmm. El Paso, Fort Hood, uh, Wichita Falls, San Antonio. And then they're they're also going after the, the, the rural vote. MAGA I, I country. Yeah, MAGA, MAGA, MAGA. I don't know. I think he said MAGA. I've never heard MAGA before. I haven't either. But, you know, Beto <clears throat> made a point to visit all 254 counties. Mm-hmm. And I think he said he was the first Democrat, probably in a long time, a couple of decades, to actually go do that. They are making a play out there. And, again, if you guys have seen their ads, these ads are, you know, it's black and white. There There is no gray in between and no, you know, hopefulness in between. They are, they are cutthroat, you know, cut them off at the knees. That's exactly how they play. It's a Republican it's a Republican uh, you know page from the Republican playbook. Uh, yeah. and he explained that. and Mike should know Mike has done this for 40 years. He knows how to do it. It's not about winning the policy arguments like Democrats want. It's about winning the race.
1: You know, I'm I'm intrigued by this, too, because we are accustomed, and, you know, you might be totally sick of watching political ads. It seems like we've seen more of them this time around than in, in previous cycles here in Texas, and that's because so many of these races are competitive for the first time in a long time. You might be just sick to death of seeing ads on TV, in your Facebook feeds, et cetera. I'm intrigued by the fact that people in these little rural counties uh, that are not in these major media markets where a lot of the ad money gets spent. People in these little rural counties who don't usually see a lot of this ad, uh, you know, activity happening uh, close to an election, they may start seeing the airwaves full of this as well. And as he said, he's going to be—they're going to be hitting them up on the cell phone and on their Facebook page. Uh, in addition to that, so I, I find that intriguing—that people who normally are just not really talked to a whole lot uh, in terms of advertising are going to be hearing a lot in these last two weeks, Jason.
0: And the Lincoln Project said if they can just peel off one percent, maybe two percent hmm. of the voters in rural areas, that's all they need. It's amazing how, how much, it, think how little it takes to make a difference. That that's all it is. And and I had never heard, and, and maybe I, I just it, it just missed me, but I had never heard that nine to ten percent of Republican voters no. were going for for Joe Biden. I mean that that's I never heard the number. I don't want to say it's remarkable, but I'd never heard the number. And when you when when I talk to Republicans who are on the inside know this in the state. They tell me that they think that Trump will probably win by about half of what he did in 2016. He won by nine in 2016. They think probably about 5% is probably what he'll get this time. Mm-hmm. You peel I, off one or two in the rural areas? Yeah. That shortens it down even more? I mean, that's, that's, that's incredible.
1: I'm curious to see if we can get some new polling out before we get to Election Day, because I know that uh, for a while there, uh, I mean, they were neck and neck, Biden and Trump here in Texas. And then you saw Trump pull away uh, by a couple of percentage points in the latest uh, polls that have been released. I'm really curious to see, you know, with these ads hitting the airwaves and with, you know, us coming down to the wire, the home stretch, as I like to say, I'm I'm really curious to see, does this tighten again as we get close to Election Day? Or do we see uh, the president pull ahead and sort of uh, maintain his uh, lead right now or maybe even stretch it to that point, that margin that he won by in 2016, which would be exceptional uh, because in, in some of the other states where he won in 2016, uh, at least so far, the polls have shown uh, in some of those states that he's underperforming compared to that 2016 level. It'll be an interesting uh, horse race uh, in in the end here.
0: Yeah, it will indeed. I, I want to highlight one other thing that, that you, you asked in the interview with Mike Madrid there from the, the Lincoln Project, and that is we we've talked about the civil war inside the the GOP, and you asked about the you know the existential threat. Does the party destroy itself mm-hmm. um, with this election? With you have you know some Republicans peeling away, some sticking with the president, uh, you know loyal base. What happens to the GOP? And and when Mike mentioned that you know his his end goal in this thing is to you know, drive out these nationalists and, 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 the, you know, the extremist and I, I don't remember the exact populist, word used, but to, yeah. yeah, the populist, but to drive them out of the party and then out of the country. Now he may have been meaning figure to be out of the country, yeah. but I, I don't know. I don't know how you do it. Win or lose, win or lose for president Trump. Those people are not going away. Those people live on your block. Those people are going to be sitting down with you for Thanksgiving. Yeah. They're not. They're not going anywhere. The, the question is, how do you how do you bring them all back in? And and one of the first things I think you do you, you got to number one turn off cable news. I pick up my phone and Twitter a hell of a lot less these days, just because it's so full of just craziness. Yeah, just craziness.
1: Yeah, you can. I don't see it know amping. how
0: though that you. Yeah, that that, you, um, that you, you can't drive them out. But what what do you where do they where do they go? How do you bring them back into the fold, Jason?
1: And what does that look like if you do separate out like that and become two parties? And do Democrats then go? Well, why don't we separate into two parties too? Because there is the much more progressive wing of the party and the much more moderate wing. Uh, you know, you, you never know what happens when you push down that first domino and say, what's this going to do? Uh, so, you know, maybe we're we'll, seeing... we'll be like Europe, man. Yeah. yeah, we'll be like Europe and having to build the majorities in the factions, which, which might be a good thing. Yeah, Who Some knows? people might like that. So, you know, now we're getting uh, intellectual on you uh, on this uh, special release today. Uh, hope you enjoyed uh, listening. Even that's what, the, if, that's what the beer does, man. Yeah, the, the it does, does tend so, to yeah. grease the wheels yeah. a little bit. Uh, <laughs> you know, even if you completely disagree with some of these viewpoints, we like to put different viewpoints on here. And um, again, uh, the reason that we uh, just had to go forward with this one today is that, they made news here on this podcast in talking about a substantial ad buy uh, going into these last two weeks in Texas, which is a, a pretty staggering amount for this state, uh, you know, to be spending against a, a Republican incumbent president. I uh, so hope keep, that you keep it. Well, go ahead. Yeah, keep, keep, keep an eye out for those ads, because I guarantee you you're going to see them. And I hope that you enjoyed it. Again, even if it doesn't match your own beliefs, we try to cover it all. We try to run the gamut here uh, on Yalotix. And we are back next Tuesday with another episode when we will be seven days out from election. And I say we'll be back next Tuesday. We might be back before then. We don't know what pops up between now and then that might necessitate uh, another special. But uh, please uh, uh, subscribe to us so that you get these as soon as they're released every time. And as always, thank you very much for listening. And don't forget to go vote. I'm going probably when this podcast is released
0: here.